Hello everybody and welcome back to Bond by Numbers. We are delighted to be here today, all three of us together, to, to bring Season 4 fully into operation. My name is Scott Powell and I'm joined as always by my esteemed co-hosts from across the pond, Joshua Dwight Gordon-Taylor and Jeffrey Hello. Chapman. Hello! Good to see you guys. It's fantastic to be back. Yeah. Boy, do we have an awesome episode lined up today. I'm really stoked. It's going to be a good one. It's unique. (laughs) In the the annals of Bond fandom, it's unique. Yeah. I'll say that with complete confidence. Yeah. And also, and I mean, I think that's a lot of, a lot of our content is unique and that's what makes us unique (laughs) is the uniqueness of our unique. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I also get paid every time I say the word unique. So count. Mm. Speaking of getting paid. I would just like to get uh, this out at the beginning, guys, that if any Amazon executives tend oh. to be listening to our episode today and would like to get in touch with myself or my partners, then uh, have your people call our people. Um, our people are ourselves, of course, and then we'll we'll negotiate because uh, we got some cracking ideas here today on this spinoff episode. Josh, why don't you uh, why don't you tell our good folks, our listening crew, what they got in store today? Well, today we will be doing another one of our what ifs. Uh, we've had several uh, of those in the past with uh, relatively good success. And uh, I, I've, I've seen that I had good response from our audience. So we are venturing into that what if world again. Uh, and what we're doing today is we're looking at studio pitches. And this is all in light of Amazon's purchase of MGM. Because you do know once Amazon has the MGM library, they're going to... Milk that bond cow. <laughs> fervently. Fervently. So, we're just thinking, well, what if Amazon decided to come up with spin-offs, which they probably will, of the James Bond universe? Of which characters are they going to take and make their own shows out of, or their own uh, movie franchises out of? Well, what we're going to do here today, each of us has two ideas for uh, spin-offs, and we're going to relay them to you and see what you think about them and also see what we think about each other's. So mm-hmm. it should be a pretty fun show overall. It should be, yeah. And we, uh, we've we got two each, as Josh says. And the only thing we know about each other's pitches is the, the, the kind of general character that's been selected so that we wouldn't duplicate for you guys listening at home and playing yes. the home game. And for our own creativity that we'd have a bit of fun listening to each other's different pitches. And after our six pitches have been shared, we're going to run the roulette with a series of other Bond universe characters, and we're going to spitball one creative idea, all three of us together, to give us 007 pitches in total. And that just sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun, which it always is. And I don't want to I I don't want to jump the shark and say uh, it's not, but I'm sure it is. (laughs) You're not the the Bonds and you're not on water skis, so don't worry. This is true on both accounts. (laughs) Hey. Hey! Well, guys, before we get into the show proper, um, I would just like to welcome everybody back to Season 4. If this is just you joining us, we've only had one episode before this to launch the season after our little break. Season 4! And that was Josh and I. (laughs) You and I sat and talked about John Gardner's License Renewed, and that was good fun. And now this with Jeff back on board. That's something I didn't expect. Well, that's okay. You know, Bond, bond and a Saab, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I'm quite partial to a Saab 900 Turbo myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah, yeah. Jeff's come back yeah. on board with us today, and um, we're going to start the season proper for, for everybody. And I suppose I'd just like to issue a little apology on my part. 
I've been quite absent on the socials lately, um, not really engaging much. This has been a really difficult time at work. It's been a real difficult time. It's always a difficult term for a teacher with the exams coming in, you know. Uh, this is exam season for us, but lots of stuff going on behind the scenes here at Bond by Numbers with just professional responsibilities and having been on the socials. <clears throat> but now, guys, now I'm looking down the barrel of a two-week holiday, and I'm really looking forward to getting back into the uh, communications world, if we can say that, and uh, yeah. getting our profile back on up there. So thank you, everybody, for, for giving us uh, the time and space to go away and be a bit creative in our, in our little uh, downtime over the last few months. And now we're back and excited to be back. So over the next couple hours, we think we think you're in for a treat. And uh, we encourage you to sit back, relax, get yourself a drink and play along with us. And at the end of the show, we're going to be asking for your help in a couple of creative ideas as well. So we hope you enjoy this episode of Bond by Numbers. Thank you very much for checking us out. And right now, Jeffrey, we're going into the world of Bond. Yes, we are. So what is going on in the world of Bond today? Well, I mean, obviously, first thing we need to talk about is the uh, Oscar win for No Time to Die. Congratulations to, you know, the production of No Time to Die and and James Bondham that we got another Oscar under our belts. But, you know, we are fanboys to an extent here, but we're also critics as well. And we do have our own feelings towards, you know, this win. Uh, Do you have anything particular you want to get into about that, Scott? Uh, I don't really. I, I'm not a huge fan of the Billie Eilish song, to be perfectly honest. And I kind of saw this as a bit of. I, I don't. I don't dislike it. I mean, it, it's not one of my least favorites, but I'm just kind of middling about it. I. I don't know that. I don't know that it was an Oscar-winning song. I, I feel like this was a bit of uh. bowing to the pressure. A little bit of. A little bit of Daniel Craig, you know, he, he's gone now. So let's make sure we recognize that in somehow mm-hmm. and in some way. But I don't know. I mean, the last three Craig films have all had Oscars for best song. Okay with Adele, I'm I'm there with you, I think. But the previous two have been okay tunes, mm-hmm. and I, I just I just don't see them as Oscar songs. Nominees maybe, but yeah, my Especially opinion. When Rita Coolidge d- d- yeah. d- doesn't have an EGOT uh, yet, so look, there you go. No, I know it's it's just unfair. I mean, that's just what this is all about. But so my my take know. is not nah, lukewarm to cool on it. But uh, yeah, that's that's me really. Jeff, what about you, buddy? What do you think of this? Well, I think you're right. I think it's almost like uh, like when they <laughs> when they give the honorary Oscar or like the the, the lifetime achievement for someone who has kind of been stymied for years and years and sort of just to honor their work hitchcock yeah Yeah. uh so i mean the song i i don't mind the song but it's definitely not the best song ever and i think there are definitely portions of the film that that maybe could have won however the beast that is known as dune i also understand why it was nominated and why it won so many i'm happy that it won the oscar for the song um, and, you know, good for Billie Eilish and, and her brother. Uh, very, you know, young musicians, uh, young stars, and now they have that under their belt. Uh, so that that's good. I mean, it's all it's all gravy at this point. I mean, you know, it's another, you know, it's another thing to, to flash and have on a, a nice mantle somewhere for, for the, the cast and crew and all that. But 
as Oscars go for fun. a Bond uh, for this song, it's sort of like uh, maybe lukewarm, like you were saying, but we just got to be positive here, be glass half full or, or martini uh, yeah. glass half it's full. It's good for the franchise. It's good definitely. for the franchise. It is good for the and, franchise. And so, I mean, let, but, that's, yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that, really. What competition was it up against uh, for, for best song? Yeah, that is a good point. Here we go. Okay, so the competition for best song, Josh, to answer your question. I know there was a, a song from Encanto that was up. Oh. And I know we had a song from King Richard that was up. What else have we got? Four Good Days, Somehow You Do, music and lyric by Diane Warren. Um, Down to Joy from Belfast, music by Van Morrison. So Morrison was up there. Uh, that seems like a likely winner to me, and you know, with mm-hmm, Belfast and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. Like, well, Beyonce, Beyonce Knowles uh, wrote with uh, Dixon the song "Be Alive" from King Richard, which was nominated. Lin Manuel Miranda, obviously for uh, "Dos Origatos" from Encanto. Apologies to our Spanish friends. Um, <laughs> that, I mean, Encanto's music is great. I also thought the score for that film was good too. Um, and yeah, people and thought course, that yeah. actually that Miranda would win and then he would get what's mm-hmm. called I mentioned earlier an EGOT when you have yeah. an Emmy a Golden Globe and an Oscar and a Tony and he would have got an EGOT if he had won that Oscar and who's the Bond alum that has one of those come on now come on it's gotta be Paul McCartney nope <laughs> Marvin Hamlish oh Marvin Hamlish yeah, right right mm-hmm. yeah I'm glad that wasn't a quiz. maybe Paul McCartney does too <laughs> but does he have a Tony award no, I don't think he has a Tony. Yeah. Never no, we'll have to ask Chris Wood that because he's the uh, he's the Beatles yes, dude. There you go. Chris might yeah. But no, I mean yeah. McCartney doesn't have Let a Tony. Know, Chris. If he does yeah, It's the only he thing he literally is probably the only thing he doesn't have. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. That's kind of funny. Well, he doesn't have yeah, a seal well, I mean, pelt. I can tell you that. He doesn't like his I mean, uh, <laughs> He doesn't like seals. So yeah. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Newfoundlander in there. Oh, that's to, funny. Get that one like in. That. Death on the ice. Like Bring it back yeah, memories. You're on thin ice. Mm-hmm. Ah, with that joke. Okay. The wreck of the florizel and all that. Yeah, so that was that was the competition for No Time to Die. I mean, look, I get it. I get that, that award has become sort of a populist thing. I get it. I understand how the game is played, and then that's just fine. And like it is, it is good for the franchise. But yeah, I don't I like know. it's a slap. Like, in if the that's face, the best you know, song, like if that's the best song in motion pictures over the year, then I don't know. I don't really think it says much for music being written for film, to be honest. That's how I feel. But I don't think the Academy is really interested deep down. Like no. I know there's people in the Academy who who love art, film, love art, and you know and appreciate those sort of things. But it's also very political. Mm-hmm. And they're also trying to go for a populist view, too, because the ratings exactly. are down as well. Exactly. However, mm-hmm. I would totally say this will yeah. probably be the highest rated Oscars probably <laughs> in a while. But anyway, we all know what happened at the Oscars that night. So, you know, we'll let what ha- the pundits and the gossip columnists deal with that. But I, my feeling for No Time to Die is when I'm happy for the franchise. I'm indifferent to the song. I don't hate it. I don't love it. But, you know, like, it's, it's, it's all right. It works for what it is. Um, I, I wish that Zimmer had a stronger score to support the theme. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really liked Zimmer's. I liked Zimmer's score, like overall for the Bond. It was I liked it more than the Newman stuff. But Zimmer, to me, like I think he deserved his second career Oscar for for Dune. So you know, I'm, I'm happy for him in that respect. Well, I feel like with Zimmer, it's like going into a casino and having like one pocket for your, you know, what you you walk in with and one pocket 
You leave out what you should. That's what I've been told is a good way of playing in the casino. And I feel he went in, into mm-hmm. the Oscars this year with that because he's like, well, I'm nominated for, you know, Dune and I'm nominated for um, No Time to Die. And either way, he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. Gonna- I'm probably going to do okay. Was he nominated, or was it was it Billy Eilish oh, maybe, and, oh, her, and her brother okay. and her brother or whatever who write who writes with yeah. her? Uh, it was Billy okay. and her brother. Sorry, yeah, I apologize, but mm-hmm. anyway, yeah, I think right. they built the score around right. like the the because the, the score was, seems like it was done separately from the song itself, yeah. and then nope, they that's probably what's been did, going that's on true. lately. Yeah, and that's and so that's like the old style is the John Barry way, right? Yes. You come up with the song and then you build the score around it, Absolutely. but now they have this yeah. score. And then they get the song, and then they insert the song, and then the composer then does a couple of tracks or cues that if has the theme. Yeah. If there's time, exactly. If there's no time. And that's one of the reasons why the more modern <laughs> there's no time to score. They had a lot of time yeah. after. That's one of to, the reasons. To fix that up. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Hundred percent. Totally. Do. <laughs> there's there's no total excuse. time to score. There's no excuse. <laughs> so. Uh, Elsewhere in the in the world of Bond, it's a happy birthday to George Lazenby this month, mm-hmm. and, uh, and our good Lowell. buddy Timmy. Oh yeah, good Timmy. Timothy. Was George Lazenby born this month too? I must have got them mixed up. I think you got them mixed up. Lazenby's a I September did. boy. Yeah, it? Timothy Dalton. I even did the post too. Anyway, yeah, good old for good old <laughs> yes, Timmy. Right. Yeah, happy birthday to Timmy, Mister Dalton. Welcome to old age, Josh. Indeed. When I posted the Instagram of his birthday announcement, I depicted several, you know, times of his mm-hmm. career. So I got like mm-hmm. the lion in winter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I even got that. his Flash cool. Gordon. Ah, role. yes. Uh, if you ever see Flash Gordon in that 1980s oh, movie, it's not great, but oh, Dalton man. steals the show. The soundtrack in that movie. is amazing. Yes, mm-hmm. but the yeah. soundtrack, the Queen, yeah. Queen is it, a man. It's so awesome. I friggin' love. I oh, still, yeah, man, I still need to get that on vinyl because it's awesome. Anyways. As much as I hated Ted 2, I do like how they included <laughs> yeah. the Flash Gordon aspect <laughs> that was great. into that movie. Yeah. So that was, good. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of that was kind yep. of fun. Um but um Dalton though, like um one of my favorite roles besides Bond that I first saw him in a movie outside of Bond was in the Rocketeer when he oh, played yeah. like that uh that Errol Flynn esque um Nazi spy working in Hollywood, yep. right? He was yeah. the the main He's baddie for that. Uh, I, great yeah. action movie, great James Horner score there too. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I really liked him in Penny right, Dreadful. Good. To be honest with you, I actually really enjoy, I really oh, yeah. enjoyed Penny him Dreadful, in Penny Dreadful a lot. I actually like the kind of roles he's doing as an older gentleman now. It's a little different, mm-hmm. uh, but I I mm-hmm. I've always enjoyed Timothy Dalton. Yeah, he's really good in uh, in the Doom Patrol as well. They don't use him a lot, but he's good. I think Brendan mm-hmm. Fraser is one of the best guys on that show, though. Like. I feel really bad for Brendan Fraser. He's had a bad turn. And we discussed yeah. about that on did, our other yeah. show about Brendan Fraser. It's unfortunate. Back with the quite like American. Him. But yeah, so that's all I can really... Just before we go away from that, Josh, what is this, before we leave World of Bond, what, what is this about uh, Brosnan and uh, the Entertainment Weekly interview? Oh, well, yeah, Jeff sent me that. And I kind of thought it was clickbait at first, but it, then I actually read the article. Like it, but... mm-hmm. And it's just... It just seems that he wasn't very happy with how he was portraying the character during the time. The article meant like he hated the character, and that wasn't really the case at all. I just think he hated – he kind of gets into how he hated the character as he was – as he portrayed him. Mm -hmm. And maybe that points to maybe some weakness with like the Purvis and Wade scripts of that time, right? But Yeah, we've certainly uh, talked about that. Well, the last two Brosnan films, like I actually think like GoldenEye was an okay script. Uh, It was a better paced and directed movie. 
But Tomorrow Never Dies was was a strong Bondian script, and I think that was probably Brosnan's best performance of like the French of of his era. But as for the other two movies, though, like the writing wasn't great, you know, and he didn't have great scripts behind him in his franchise. But I always thought he was a good Bond, you know. Besides that, well, yeah. So if he feels bad about it or he's not happy with it, I mean, that's his own view of things right as an actor you go back and watch stuff you've done and you're like oh my god like what was i thinking or why did i do why did i do it that way you know that's so cheesy you know so you know it it depends upon how you feel about the performance in your own subjectivity but he's looking at it you know from a very different point of view than we would i agree uh what it seemed like, okay, so in the article, it seemed like it, the the clickbait portion of it was um, saying like he didn't like Bond, but what it that was more or less to get you to read the article. But it was again, it was more mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. he was a little more. It was more just sort of like how uh, how he felt portraying the role and how like no matter how well he would do, it wouldn't be good enough because being bond is so tough on any actor it's just like no one's going to be happy with you and also i think it's because they had asked him to be bond like 25 years beforehand or or whatever right like i mean he was he was uh he had been rumored to be bond like in the early 80s like you know uh, and so there's all this sort of like hype it's almost like uh i mean someone it's almost like uh i mean i'm gonna make a hockey reference uh i know so this may fall flat on some other people that don't follow hockey but it's like a number one prospect who then just ends up not going to the nhl like just sort of retiring from hockey and just living their life as a normal person Mm -hmm. and then it's just sort of like what happens right so uh, maybe that's not the best example but um, it's just interesting. No, I get you. It, but it, it's interesting because, I mean, we know that Brosnan is a great actor. He's got a lot of chops. But it also shows that, you know, this role that has made him really famous, he was, I guess, he wasn't that pleased with the overall. But I think it's more, again, on a personal level than it was um, as, as a product, mm-hmm. even though we know yeah. that, unfortunately, he, the cards he was dealt for the films he were in were not the strongest. And it's almost kind of like if we could have a redo, he could probably do better. But you know, it, it is what it mm. is. But uh, and I, I love I love Pierce Brosnan, um, and I, I do I do like as him Bond, as yeah. Bond. I think you know, uh, on a, uh, a, on, a bro, on a bromance, like you know, he, he's easy on the eyes, and I like you know, and uh, but he, apparently he hated a lot of his lines, and uh, he hated the one liners. Mm. But you stuff. can't blame him. No, he had no, to eat some real terrible tripe, like. Like Connery got some one-liners, sure. right? But mm. even more. But Brosnan got some bad yeah, he did. one-liners. Yeah, he did. You know what he I mean? He didn't like those. Like if yeah. you compare like uh, Brosnan to Craig, like Craig's one-liners fit the story, sure. mm-hmm. and they they seem naturalistic in their own way. But with Brosnan, like it's just the whole scene is just constructed for that one line uh, yes. in many ways. And as we've said yeah. before, the, the the writers and the production team at the time, you know, taking over after 
uh, Barbara Cubby sort death. of rise after Cubby's death. They were trying to figure out where they wanted. They were trying to be honorable to the Moore franchise or to the Moore era. They wanted to go grittier, but they, they couldn't quite drop the gags. And the technology of the time, the culture was just subsumed and you know blanketed by tech, which was rising. Mobile phones mm-hmm. were rising. Digital exactly. tech. Everything was nuts. So Brosnan's on the receiving end of as an action character of all of this stuff at a time that just it, it's just just so it's just so stuffed his films are so stuffed with distraction product placement and, exactly. exactly yeah. yeah it's it's a big 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 things going on there Omega. I think he did a hell of a job to steer the films the way he did in oh, his yeah. performances and the fact that we can still sit here and he has only done four films but the fact that he is I think I think I, he still writes as my second favorite performer of James Bond I mean that that's that's good you know a lot of people share that thought with me too that they you know like Jeff saying he's a beautiful guy to look at but just he has watch, jobs just watching with those suits bring man. the emotion and, <laughs> yeah exactly. oh absolutely his Baroni yeah, suits he, are top mm, dollar yeah stuff yeah him and Connery were the best dress bonds in my mm-hmm. opinion yeah, they also benefited from the periods too, didn't yep. they? Like, I mean, even Brosnan's suits, though they were, though they were like, I don't like the tight fit Tom Ford stuff that um, that's kind of not not it hasn't marked all of Craig's films, but has marked recent films. Um, yeah, I, I like the that was the I style like the nineties time look. though. Yeah. Is that was that mm. retro? Yeah, but, yeah, you know that's because like Mad Men mm. had mm. just come out, so then like that that like sort of reinvention of like the slim 60s like skinny tie suit came back and and then again it was almost like and then obviously um with craig's physique it was like that i got a really skinny suit and i'm built like a brick shithouse so it's kind of almost like Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. slim but it's not it's almost too tight but that was just the style just to show that he's not just Mm -hmm. like you know, I've got muscle behind there (laughs) anyways but that's Mm -hmm. but that's the craig style suit whereas when you have the 90s to early 2000s, it was still sort of like more suit than physique, if you notice. Like, if you ever look at, like, watch, like, Absolutely, X-Files, yeah. and in mid mm-hmm. to mid-90s, early 2000s, you still have, like, people with, like, shoulder pads. <laughs> shoulder and, like, pads. And, like, big the, like, football gear. Like, yeah. sort of, like, more frumpier fitted suits. Uh, now we're not talking definitely. about like now. Duchovny always was dressed terribly. Oh yes, he was. He had like the, but even those even terrible so, ties. In other shows at Scully, the time, Scully with like her shoulder pads. Yeah, though. oh yeah, I know. And then by season five in the movie, she has like Armani suits, right? Because yeah. yeah. Anyways, so. but anyways, regardless, <laughs> we're, I'm getting I'm going off on a bit of a tangent, so I apologize. But uh, back, bringing it. Back, anyways, bringing it back. Brosnan uh, looks like again w- w- the article we were talking about. It looked like he said he hated playing Bond, but as far as when you read the article, it's more he's just more sort of unhappy with the cards he were he like on a on a personal mm-hmm. note. Than it was, I think, the Bond character. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. to point out, it's some news blog yeah. that caught the Entertainment yeah, exactly. Weekly and, yeah. and is referencing it. But the clickbait was from the news blog saying, Brosnan right. hates exactly. James Bond. Exactly. So then you click on it, it seeing yeah. why, and then you get exactly. a very much more mm-hmm. textured interview uh, with uh, Brosnan. Anyway, and any, anybody who's who's a fraction media savvy can read through that. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it's, exactly. it, it's this isn't something that's no. showing up on any Bond. Oh yeah, no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> kind of fandom really. It, it's just it's just interesting chat. Yeah, exactly. Well, guys, look, there is more going on in the Bond world. We know there's more minutiae out there, but but we're quite keen to get to this episode. We got a lot of fun packed into the next hour, Absolutely. hour and a half. So um, let's, let's just transition over, shall we, and start this What If on Expanded Universes. All right.
let, let, let's get into this, gents. Uh, and just another quick reminder for our listeners that we are each going to pitch two original Bond spinoff ideas. Might be some overlap here. There's definitely going to be some drawing on the, the canon, the franchise, obviously, of, of the Bond world. And then we're going to um, we're, we're going to spin a seventh on the roulette, select a random character that we haven't discussed today in each of our pitches and, uh, and, and see what we can come up with them. And we'll encourage the uh, listening audience to do the same. So... Uh, who I'm wants curious to, to see here? if there is any overlap because that would be really mm-hmm. interesting. It would, <laughs> it would be pretty cool because we have a, we cool. have a cornucopia of characters to choose from. We do well, guys. So, listen, why don't why don't we use the roulette? We haven't broke the roulette out here recently. It's been a wee while. So why don't we go? We'll each take twelve. We got thirty six numbers on the roulette. Uh, One to twelve will be me. Thirteen to twenty four can be Jeff, and twenty five to thirty six will be Josh. And I tell you what, we'll we'll go that way, and whoever's lands, we start us off, huh? How's it rolling? Because I'm guessing there's probably a lot of dust on it. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> a lot of dust. <laughs> is right. And you wouldn't believe it, guys, but that just landed on zero. So, well, I'm gonna try this again. <laughs> so it's fake. So, yeah, what does that mean? It doesn't want to hear any of our bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, the roulette. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's working oh, against boy. us. So it's red 19. That puts Mr. Chapman up first. Okay. Okay. So choose one of your stories, my man, and uh, pitch, tell us what it's all about. Well, anyone who, um, you know, is a regular listener uh, knows that I am a fan of Pam um, mm. from uh, License to Ms. Kill. Bouvier. Yes. Uh, so. My spinoff idea is about Pam. Um, and so what I thought is, because, I mean, you know, when the first time you really see her, you know, you got this sort of, you got this, you know, attractive young woman in a sleazy bar, and you know, somehow she hides a shotgun under the table, and and she she, she <laughs> resourceful re- resourceful is a, is a good word and you know obviously she hands she handles herself well and uh, hey look she can even get shot in the back and uh, just walk away so that's pretty good uh, so I, I thought about uh, you know like a, a spinoff series dealing with that character because I want to know more about Pam I want to know you know how she got into this why she got into this and just sort of look more about her. And she's a strong female character, and she can handle a gun and all that kind of stuff. So hey, I mean, it, yep. it's a win-win situation uh, for viewers. <laughs> and and a pilot. And, well, and a pilot. And, a pilot. Well. and uh, yeah. So I had thought about that, and um, I was going to make the pilot, pun intended. Um, it's going to be about seven or eight years pr- before uh, License to Kill. And so okay. I was going to say the pilot's almost, it's going to be like an hour and a half. So it's, and, and it's going to be uh, basically the premise is like a 20 year old, because I'm going to say Pam's probably about 28 or, uh, or so in license uh, to kill. So I'm going to, uh, so I said, you know, she's probably be about 20. And, and uh, so we, it's her as a, as an army helicopter pilot and she's, you know, she's flying into the jungle, picking up and dropping off CIA and special operations forces. And this is in Colombia, so this is uh, around the time of Escobar, like early Escobar. And um, mm-hmm. so, the, again, with the opening episode, she's going to be like coming in and saving. It's almost kind of like um, clear and present danger, um, where so mm-hmm. you know they're mm-hmm. picking up guys and 
basically, you know, you see her, she's 20, and then she's actually shooting out the side of the helicopter, helping the guys get in, all that kind of stuff. And one of the CIA guys that's coming onto the plane after whatever this uh, this operation was is Felix Leiter. And, uh, you know, and, cool? and the guy, yeah, and nice, some of the special nice. forces guys are kind of catcalling her in the helicopter. You know, they're all just shooting the shit and, you know, measuring their their dicks after the mission mm-hmm. and then when they get out they're cat calling her and she slugs one of them who was a superior officer <laughs> and she gets in shit and uh, she gets arrested uh, and later it's like mm, you know he sees some uh, and he uh, he just saw how she how she was able to carry herself and, and obviously like you know um, and being a, a, a young female like uh, pilot in the army which there wasn't a lot I'm guessing Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And how she could, uh, you know, she navigated flying through the jungle, and, and how she was, you know, she she uh, she actually shot some guys while flying the helicopter herself, you know, all sort of like, um, you know, like a cowboy kind of cool. thing, right? And it was a shotgun, just so mm-hmm. we know that, you know, that's kind of maybe her weapon of choice. That's consistent. That's right? consistent. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and I was gonna make a joke like, hey, how did she get that on here? <laughs> you know, like a joke like. She could just get a shotgun anywhere, you know? That's right. Um, <laughs> she can get yeah. them anywhere down her pants. So anyways. Um, Bless your heart. So the again, the, the pilot episode is sort of just giving her the origins of like, so, you know, she's a pilot and then she's going to get in trouble. And it, it's, uh, and then, you know, Felix Hutter kind of gets out of the trouble and, and and gets the uh, the potential court martial expunged, and then he's like, you know what, you know, we could probably use you. And so then he kind of gets her into the CIA. So the end of the pilot, which is about an hour and a half, uh, and again, the whole pilot takes place in 1982, and um, and, and so it's just sort of like it, it shows who Pam is, and and you know and. And then the next two episodes, like two to ten, are, are her working with the CIA as uh, you know, uh, as an operative, but also um, you know, as a, as a as a pilot in uh, high risk areas for extractions and wet works um, mm. in different areas within South America, within that sort of the CIA's um, sphere of influence, and and working with mm-hmm. South American drug lords, and so. I figured that would probably make sense as to why she would have been uh, and how she potentially knows uh, Lighter and why she would be dealing in Isthmus City, which, again, you know, is Central yeah, America, but yeah. similar and dealing with drug cartels and that kind of stuff. Drugs so, and Sanchez. And then yeah, the episodes nice 2 to 10 would, you know, be, I think I, I decided that it would probably, like, as much as sometimes I hate when they, if the pilot is like, you know, 10 years before and then they rush it and make it like current day it's like there's a lot there's a lot that could happen in between like 6 or 7 or you know 10 years but if it mm-hmm, works it mm-hmm. works so I'm still I'm kind of up in the air if I want to continue the 1982 or but I was also mm-hmm. thinking that mm-hmm. I can make episodes 2 to 10 like maybe a year year and a half before License to Kill because I want I was thinking like if the series you know can get picked up and take off there's at least enough time uh, that we could flesh out like a f- uh, like a full series, yeah, and totally. then have it lead up mm-hmm. to eighty eight, eighty nine, which is in Ithma City, and then explains you know Pam as as we see her in License to Kill. Nice. 
Uh, and again, cool. the the main person that would be that would sort of uh, relate into the 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 world of Bond would be lighter. I mean, we could also sort of have little Easter eggs here and there, like maybe you know, but sure. but ultimately, there wouldn't be as much like MI6 or or, or Bond as much as it would no, be no, like course, a Felix yeah. Slater CI because it otherwise it wouldn't make sense. Um, it wouldn't. No. But so can I ask yeah, you then, buddy? Would, yeah. would Felix Slater be? In your idea, is Felix Leiter a recurring character? Yeah. Like he's not in every episode. He kind of no. he's kind of like trans. He kind of transfers in and out. Of yeah, stuff. I, I like feel shadows. like she would be kind of like on his Rolodex. Like if it would be certain. Th- like I kind of almost thought like if if he for a while has been posted to you know different hot like hot zones within South America. Like if he goes like from embassy to embassy, and he's working with. You know, uh, attaches and uh, you know, and more or less dealing with you know, like I don't know, Noriega or whatever, and you know, stuff like that, like mm-hmm. drug drug interdiction, CIA, DEA stuff. He would, he, she would be like high up on his Rolodex as like uh, you know, um, a ringer or uh, or or an asset because of who she is and what she can do, and also you know, being like uh, a young uh, go getter. Uh, a strong female character, she could get into places and stuff like that, and you know, just be and uh, it, I think it, it would. Uh, anyway, so yes, what what I'm saying is, Felix Leiter. So part of me thinks he should be like a, a main character, but then I also think like it might be better. I guess it's kind of like how it goes, right? Like, see how it goes. Like, if if we need, like, maybe on the sweeps episodes, we would have Felix in there. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. that, like with. Agents yeah. of Shield, which was always great. It's like they'd always, oh look, it's you know the sweeps or the you know, it's ratings week. So we'll we'll bring in Samuel L. Jackson or or, uh, or Thor yeah, yeah. for an episode, right? For ratings, <laughs> something to help with the Nielsen's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so if they oh, even matter, well, yeah, if they even matter. I know. But yeah. uh, anyway, so that that's kind of my my thought for Pam, and I, I mean I love Pam so much, and I think this would work. And so if I if I it was going to be done today. Uh, I would. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of a, a few, like the one person that kind of made me think about it because she has a kind of a similar role and uh, or style, and I think she, it could work because she, she's also very attractive, youthful, and she can she can play these type of roles. Is actually Colby Smolders. That's who I was thinking as as mm. a Pam. Oh wow, Ooh. nice one. That's an awesome clip. I don't know. Yeah. That's that's just nice. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good shout, man. Nice one. So hey, if, there you Amazon, go, uh, Amazon. Yeah, it's your first idea. Yeah, that's actually <laughs> yeah. a really good choice for like a, a yeah. recast of Pam Bouvier so. would be cool. Also, mm-hmm. and she she can rock I mean, the short I, I hair think too. She, she, <laughs> yeah, I mean she's a little older she, now sure. than she was. Like, yeah. But still, like, she's a really good cast. Like, if you think about, like, you know, Maria Hill, like, in the Marvel movies and then also on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., like, that's a really good role for her. I read recently, this is a sidetrack, that she played Ann Coulter on oh, a yeah. uh, series recently. Yeah. Which is uh, interesting. Really yeah. But yeah, no, that's a good pick. Uh, yep. A question for the, uh, I guess, the producer or the hopeful producer. Are you going to be including like uh, Sanchez as a character in like Isthmus City? Or are you going to have like his minions like Dario or even like Colonel Heller, maybe working with Heller, you know, like mm. on the, on the, on, yeah. on the pilot runs? Is she going to have like her own team of like, people of the supporting cast when she does these helicopter yeah. runs like of cia operatives or yeah, something I was thinking like that almost kind of like an a-team kind of thing okay like a little okay, bit Okay, cool and i would yep. I, again i would try to make 
this show support itself. So I wouldn't want to have training wheels and and, and bank on too many um, Bond references. Bond references. I mean, it was just kind of. A, I mean, it would just mm-hmm. be sort of like an experiment and see how it goes. Right? Like that's how does mm-hmm. it go? Yes. But yeah, cool. You have a tentative title. Pam Bouvier, CIA. I mean, I think... Uh, Pam I mean, Bouvier, CIA. I, I mean, I, I, yeah. I, don't, I was trying to think like, of other things, but really, that's... <laughs> I check out the pilot, for sure. Of course. Oh, yeah. I'm going to give you, I'm oh, give you I some bond money for this. I'm going, to, I'm going to invest in your show, my man. Thank you. We could have done this with mon- Monopoly money uh, and, and chose a winner. We should but have. Or Isthmus Dollars? We, we can, that we can do that for our next one. We can do that if this if this takes off. We'll have a second round of this. Yeah. But we'll have, I we'll, like it. We'll have a Kickstarter. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a good one, buddy. Nice Thanks. work uh, yeah. starting us off there. So shall we roll the roulette and see who's next? Sure. It's between me and you, Josh. Okay. Round and round she goes. Where is she stopped? Well, Nobody it's knows. Black Black 33, my buddy. So we're going to you. Oh. All right. So my show has two tentative titles. I'm not quite sure which one to use. It depends upon, I guess, in the end, what feels right. So okay. my first choice is Slight of Hand. Uh-huh. Or, and this will kind of give you an idea of what it's about or what characters are involved, is... The Prophetess and the Policeman. I had a different name for the second character, but I realized that probably would not go over well, you know, and it's not, it's not, it's not not nice. It's not nice, but I'll just say this, the Prophetess and the Policeman. I think Slate of Hand feels like, I don't know, like a seventies detect, like the seventies action show, Slate of Hand, but yeah. Slate of Hand's pretty good. My main character. Yeah. So this show is molded around the characters of Solitaire and our and the one and only uh, J.W. Pepper Ooh. from Live and Let Die. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> because just the I combo of those two characters is just so surreal, but that's it just makes so much sense on paper. That, that, you know what I mean? That is an odd couple. Like, yeah. Um, It'll be fun. So it's set after the events of Live and Let Die. Solitaire has joined the perpetual list of James Bond exes. And magically, since leaving Bond, she has reacquired her gift for clairvoyance. Attempting to get an astrology parlor off the ground in New Orleans, she unwittingly gets involved in a political scandal that has her fleeing the city and into the bayous, where she falls under the protection of Sheriff J.W. Pepper. (laughs) As you do. In the pilot, (laughs) as one does. boy, yeah. In the pilot episode, J.W., or J.W., Solitaire, uh, with the help of J.W.'s wife, who we met in Man <laughs> with the Golden Gun, and mm-hmm. she was great in her small yeah. little role, yeah. we have to admit. Yeah. yeah. Uh. Uh, and his deputies as well. His deputies are also in there. We saw briefly some of them in Live and Let Die, and they seem they had a kind of a fun rapport, and they're, you know, like, I just like the dynamic of that whole sequence. Like, as much as that scene is, J.W. Pepper is a character that annoys me, we have to admit that... Uh, the whole dynamic of J.W. Pepper going after Bond and Live and Let Die and all the dynamics with, like, the sheriff's department in that area, like, that was good stuff. Yeah. I enjoyed that. Yeah, it's like a revamp of Keystone Cops almost, really. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a lot of those things yeah. are with the portrayal of the police. Yeah. Not as bad as uh, View to a Kill, though. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So far, I- I'm hooked. Like, I would... Le- legit watch this this is mm-hmm. great mm-hmm. i'm <laughs> not too. kidding I, yeah. i'm really this is not great kidding. Yeah. keep this going is good stuff yeah. 
Think of like uh, that series, like what's that series? And I forget, forget the name of it now. My my parents watched it. It was set like in Florida, like in the ever. Oh, the glades. glades. Yeah. So think of yeah. like something like the glades or or burn even notes. burn notice yeah, to an sure. extent, yeah. right? Um. So with the help of JW's wife and his deputies, they foil the government assassins and expose the corrupt mayor of New Orleans. So that's the pilot episode. Oh, okay. So I like it. Going forward. She will then use her mystical abilities to help JW solve the flood of incoming cases. Not having much importable wealth, she installs herself in the now abandoned alligator farm and with the help of a bookish deputy, uh, one Jeb Boudreaux, brings the place up to snuff to make a tidy profit in terms of farming alligators and astrology readings <laughs> while helping JW tackle the various robberies, confidence schemes, even murders that threaten the peaceful oh, parish. That's great. Now, do you see her? Is, is Solitaire, Josh, is she, does she help him um, by reading the cards? Is that kind of what, <laughs> Just what she does? Yeah, she helps like, by reading the cards. She, she reads the signs and then she, and to give him hints on his investigation and stuff okay. like that, right? Cool, cool. But cool. she's also kind of, you know, she's a, she's a, she's become a sharp business woman now and you know like she's had experience in her life that's changed her and she's you know she's uh she's more confident so she goes out there despite things you know and you know she you know she comes and dresses up nicely and stuff but she's got a gun in her purse and she's happy to you know to like you know to billy club you know like a, a thug every now and then and All stuff right. like that right so do we get do we get know. any episodes where she's riding up in that chevy nova do we get any episodes where she's in the actual patrol car I, I I I can see that, like sitting in the front in the front yeah. with JW and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, okay, absolutely. Cool. cool. <laughs> sitting up pop lucks in the community with like with JW's wife and stuff like that, you know. And I'm also going to also bring in back that poor chicken farmer that uh, JW was cursing at in as as well. He'll be a recurring character oh, as well, okay. part of the town. Uh, so the principal oh, casting. Oh, yes, I was sir. just gonna ask. Um, yeah, go ahead. Because I know that everyone else is probably asking this. Um, so I'm going to ask on behalf okay. of all of our listeners, um, how many slide whistles will be uh, <laughs> used per episode? If this was a show that episode. was, yeah, if this was a show that was made at its time, you know, by like CBS or something like that, is it, or or BBC or something as like a spinoff or something, like when the movie came out, I would totally incorporate the slide whistles throughout the the episodes absolutely in a modern context i don't know okay well in a modern context this this isn't happening <laughs> I, mean, well, I, I i got an alternative for that i got an oh, okay for all that. right all right okay. okay good 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 so if this were adapted in the present day i mm -hmm. would still maybe cast jane seymour you can make her an older oh, yeah. you know but she's aged if you wanted to fine, she's so yeah no problem sure, she's aged not? very well yeah but i mean you could also cast someone else in the role too obviously um but i would definitely choose you know, for J.W. Pepper, I would probably go a little younger and maybe a little slimmer. Jonah uh, Hill? Maybe throw on one of the guys from Supernatural or something as J.W. Pepper, you know? Like, because uh, <laughs> you want to get the, you know, you, you want, yeah, he's doing Walker, Texas Ranger now, isn't he? So Oh, I was going to say You can Bobby. do J.W. Pepper, no <laughs> problem. Yeah. Uh, anyways. Or maybe, maybe Matthew McConaughey. He did a good Bayou voice in... Uh, in uh, True Detective, so maybe he'd be interested in playing J.W. Pepper. I think he cost a lot, though. Um, the principal casting is go required. It's going to be J.W. Pepper, uh, Solitaire, J.W.'s wife, uh, the deputies. Uh, there's going to be a sheriff's office that's going to have a sassy secretary. 
and there's going to be a Maverick local attorney, and also a planned cameo with Felix Slater every now and then, too. Oh, nice. Okay. Just, you know, just, just for the sake of things. And uh, I'm going to have a storyline thinking of maybe Felix Slater somehow recruiting Solitaire, you know, for things, you know, just to keep in the know of what's going on in the New Orleans underground or something like that. And speaking of that, there's going to be sort of an over, uh, kind of an overarching arc, kind of like in Buffy style, where you have like individual episodes. But there's a mythology towards the big yeah, bad. Yeah, right. Exactly. There's a big yep. bad, and that's actually going to be Baron Samaday, who's back in form, and oh, we know he nice. survived at the end, ah, at the end of Living and Die, right? So he's he's the he's going to take mm-hmm. over, you know, the New Orleans underground. That's the big bad buildup. So so yeah, cool. I just thought of yeah. so that's that. That's sleight of hand or prophetess and the policeman, whatever you want to call it. I like it. it. I like it. I was going to say you you yeah. potentially could even have an MI6 tie-in if there was something to do with like um, if there, let's say there was a, a British consulate in New Orleans or around the area mm-hmm. in Louisiana, mm-hmm. you could uh, you know anyway, so you could maybe then stretch it to have some kind of a MI6 bond. Uh, it is a major port, so I mean, it makes sense. Anyway, so that's good. That's, yeah, so that's, that's my uh, that's my pitch. I would absolutely because I, I, I love idea. I love you know Louisiana and, and and anything to do with like that that culture like the um, you know the Southern culture like that and especially with that sort yeah. of like um, odd couple um, and and pairing yeah. and pairing with Bond like you know in in a Bond universe uh, that sounds great to me that sounds like a lot of fun that's that's a that's a sit down and just enjoy the hell yeah. out of that I gotta ask you though dude like as producer or would be producer what tone are you looking for from the show because you've obviously oh, mixing you're mixing some really complicated ideas and pre-established character kind of tropes and stuff like what would yeah. you be looking for I'm gonna probably go. It's a bit of a dated reference, but I'll say Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> okay, so makes sense. Mixed with like, a little bit sense. of like, uh, mixed with a little bit of say something like, uh, you know, think of a modern example would be something like, as I said, the Glades yeah. or Burn Notice or Castle or something like that, right? So, okay, yeah. That, so we've got uh, our humor yeah, in there. We've the got our action. Yeah. This yeah. makes pathos, sense. Mm, lesser, lesser so pathos. I think pathos you can put it in there if, if it's earned, but that's what the that's what the long standing arcs are for, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you don't want to like overindulge people in emotions and and pathos yeah, yeah, like yeah. in one ep- in one in, from episode to episode. People just want to go turn on the TV and see what that well, JW I was gonna is say, up if to. If JW you know, gets and, serious, and, uh, I don't know that could turn off people. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh, I uh-huh. do think. I, I, you know, like I'm a humble guy, but I do think the concluding of the alligator farm is. Oh, brilliant. it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh snap! It should, it's a good it way to write that in. Oh snap! Oh, oh snap! <laughs> oh snap! Farms. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Oh man, that's oh, good. Snap, indeed. <laughs> yep. And uh, just out of curiosity, uh, this is not important going forward, but just for this we'll particular show, I'm curious. What kind of, what kind of, what kind of budget are you anticipating for, like pilot? And beyond. Well, it's Amazon, so there's... Oh, I would so, yeah, say probably yeah. for the budget, you're looking at maybe like no more than 20 million or 30 million or something, right? Like, okay. it's, right. it's going to be like a locally shot show, so that's yeah, going to save yeah. money. You know, like the state of Louisiana will be happy to, you know, get the publicity and stuff like that. And all the sets will be in a studio in California anyways, so... 
I mean, it, it's, it seems like it's going to be a relatively, you know, low budget but show like in terms, like, shows. A, like a like a moderate yeah. budget show, like like most mm-hmm. network procedurals, you know. It's probably going to be filmed in Georgia for you, <laughs> like everything else nowadays. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> Atlanta. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, guys, like for both of you now, Jeff, you two, have you got any thoughts about kind of like the um, the, the special effects or the musical spec, like any anything you want to, to bring to that atmosphere? Or have you really just gone treatment story? Because I, I should say in advance, I haven't done a lot of the sort of that sort of atmospheric things. I have gone treatment for story more, but I'm just curious listening to you guys talk. Do you have any thoughts for, for that spec? Um, for mine, I mean, I guess I would maybe try and make the music kind of period like if again if i'm gonna mm-hmm. go period you know i'll do the best yeah. i can to sort of make it sound like it's early to mid 80s style yeah, sure. you gotta have the giorgio Murata. you gotta have like yeah. you gotta have like it's like miami yeah. Place. Yeah. you gotta have like the synth you gotta have the synth in your show like, yeah because yeah, i mean I, i'm honestly thinking like pan bvsca yeah, it's gonna be like an explosion with a name coming out like macgyver basically or something to that effect i don't know yeah airwolf or it's going to have, like, a oh, helicopter nice, exploding, nice touch, yeah. and, and then, like, the rotor's going to come at the screen, and then it's going to say, like, Pam Bouvier-CA. I don't know. It's <laughs> or it's gonna, or the rotor is like actually going to be, like, a sawed-off shotgun, because, you know, that's a weapon of choice. I don't know. Who knows? And, of, and of course, what a better place to uh, set, uh, and what a better place to set Pam Bouvier, set, like, you know, which is, you know, supposed to take place in... The, you know, in South America, Central America, what what better place to film it than Vancouver? Yeah, of course, right? in that I same mean, forest, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And isn't that isn't Kobe from Vancouver? Isn't she she is. Vancouver yeah. Yep. Yep. She even. Um, it's all coming together here, Amazon. It's all coming together. Yeah, exactly. You're welcome. We've already done all the scouting. I mean, guys, just say yes. <laughs> That's right. <Just laughs> it's there yes. for you. We're it's giving right this to you. Yeah, it's done. It's already done, guys. All right, so you're next, Scott. We don't even what need to roll. We don't even need to spin be. the wheel. This is yours. This is your. We turn. don't need to spin this time. We'll spin. At, we'll spin after I'm done. Okay, guys, I got two story ideas, obviously as well. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to go with this one first. Okay. Now, uh, this this story, uh, this treatment I got here for you is based on the character of Knickknack from the Man with the Golden Gun. Now, to my mind, guys, he's possibly the most. Uh, compelling henchman in the whole series. Absolutely. I love Nick Knack. I mm-hmm. think he's. I think he's got a wealthy backstory that just could be exploited in a spinoff. And that's what this. This. This is where I went first. My goal would be to do like an origin story for the character, chronicling how how he goes from like an abandoned child to almost the sole inheritor, or perhaps the sole inheritor of of Scaramanga's island, and yeah, maybe more. Okay. Now Nick Knack. Knickknack's tale is like the ultimate underdog tale, right? It's a, it's a story, this will be a story of like subduing the ego for the greater good and of being like the whipping boy of social stigma and all of this type of stuff. Outward weakness being turned into kind of inward goal burning, that type of stuff, okay? But <clears throat> I've got an origin story which stretches over one season. I'll, I'll read you the treatment for the outline now in a moment. And I'm going from birth to the Man with the Golden Gun events. That's that's the first season, okay? So I'm looking at maybe 10 episodes stretched over, obviously, a big time span. But I think that'll make sense when I read you the treatment, okay? So I'm going to ask for your input at the end of this, though, because I don't know if I've gone out on too far of a limb. But uh, yeah, so here we go, okay? So, oh, by the way, the show, 
The show is called The Air of Paco. Now, Air is an H-E-I-R, and Paco was the nickname in the book that was given to Scaramanga. So, The Air of Paco. Okay, that, that's oh, okay. my story. Okay. Idea. Like Air of Paco. Yeah. Very good. So, my episodes are going to cover the following content. Knickknack, as we know him, is the product of a 22-year-old French socialite named Elodie Aubert and a 38-year-old American banker named Mitchell Cliff, who met passionately but ephemerally in Hanoi in the weeks leading up to the Battle of Den Ben Phu. His father, the American, was in Vietnam to represent the USA's interests in bankrolling the French and their efforts to fight communism of the North Vietnamese. His mother, meanwhile, was the eldest daughter of a wealthy French industrialist whose family had been in Vietnam for generations. They met, as you might imagine, at a state dinner, and boom, there's the conception of knick-knack. Now, Dad leaves after the fling. I mean, his foreign job was complete, right? And knowing, caring, nothing of the conception. Mom, meanwhile, is forced to hide the pregnancy once her father discovers it. A premature labor forces the issue, and she gives birth to a son, whose name, you might be surprised to learn, is not knick-knack at birth, but instead Julien Pierre Aubert. Okay. Now, during his early months, Julian was diagnosed with a dwarfism-related disorder, which only brought more shame upon the family, in addition to being illegitimate. So, shortly after the Battle of Dien Bien Phu, the writing was on the wall for the French in Vietnam, so the Aubert family left while their colonial money was still good. Sadly, little Julian doesn't go with them. Dad makes mom give up the boy and he was left behind at the age of eight months and cared for by a Jesuit mission. Okay? You with me so far? Mm-hmm. Now, Julien, little, little boy, spends an isolated but nurtured childhood under the founding missionary, a guy named Monsieur Danon. And he becomes a dab hand at foraging and spotting rural food ingredients once he's old enough to toddle about the hillside. Now, this it's makes cooking. him... That's right. It makes him a big hit in the kitchen. All right? Not surprisingly. And he develops an exceptional palate through these outdoor adventures. And he negotiates the rural terrain and the coastal cliffs. You know, his small stature enables him to reach these sort of perilous places, right? And he really builds himself a reputation there within the mission. Julian reaches adolescence just as the American presence in Vietnam begins to swell. Monsieur Danan, who has grown to love Julian and is very conscious of the growing military stage, you know, around him, he answers a call from the Philippines in Manila and he decides to go there to start a new project. He takes Julian with him, sensing the opportunity to do God's work somewhere else, and he provides some sort of future for Julian, right? And the other young orphans on the mission. Now, eventually, now, okay, eventually, this is where the writer's room really earns his money. Julian gets his lucky break at the age of about 15. Monsieur Danan works really hard to sponsor an apprenticeship for Julian at the Manila branch of Le Cordon Bleu. There... He plays an errand boy, and he kind of shadows line cooks under the tutelage of an acclaimed chef named Danilo Lim, before being accepted to study hot French cuisine. After graduating from his diploma courses and his superior certificates, Julien begins working the prep line in one of Lim's premier restaurants. Like many powerful figures in the culinary world, the cultural world really, Lim has important connections and channels income on the side through brokering private functions. It isn't long before Julian is tangentially exposed to some big clientele, including figures within the Filipino criminal underground. Through his culinary mentor, Lim, Nick Knack 
gets the opportunity to serve at some of these private meetings and functions. Be it canasta, bridge, poker, roulette, whatever. These high-stakes private games offer Julian an opportunity to notice very quietly while he works and serves select menus. And early in these experiences, he meets a Spaniard named Francisco Scaramanga, who's a skilled assassin and a professional problem solver with links to the Spangled Mob in Naples. Scaramanga has recently settled in Southeast Asia as a gun for hire after some work in the Caribbean, which paid him quite well. And he takes a real quick shine to Julien's skills over the months of these private functions and getting to know him through that triangular connection to Danilo Lim. A lover of fine food and drink, Scaramanga has a sharp eye for detail, and he admires the discipline and the loyalty of this young Julian. If the rumors are true, Scaramanga, this problem solver with links to the Spangled Mob, has recently purchased a small island in the Andaman Sea from his proceeds of crime in the Caribbean, and he has ambitions to separate himself from all syndicates to become his own man. He's looking for a live-in steward and cook, and he approaches Lim about offering Julianne the job. Now, by this point, Julianne has received the name of Knick-Knack by his peers in the kitchens because of his quick knack for combining ingredients. And so, Knick-Knack's life pattern of moving from one patron to another sort of spills over here. First, we've got the Jesuit missionary, Monsieur Danan, then the acclaimed chef, Danilo Lim, and now we've got Francisco Scaramanga entering the scene who senses in this orphaned outcast the same sort of febrile devotion and loyalty that maybe MI6 did with James Bond, you know, maybe? Well, what Scaramanga doesn't bank on is that within this small and unassuming frame of a hardworking little human, there burns a fire of self-sufficiency and determination, which is one that extends far beyond his truffles, artichoke hearts, and julienne vegetables. It's one that might just rise up, boys, and surprise the world with its own ambition. Now, the story follows Knick-Knack and Scaramanga as the assassin's reputation grows and his contracts multiply. Knick-Knack enjoys being Scaramanga's number one, though secretly he wishes for some of the same romantic escapades that he sees Paco enjoy. And after a couple of years, the bond between the two strengthens. Scaramanga's island home is soon complete, and throughout it all, Knick-Knack completely endears himself to his boss. In addition, he begins seducing targets for his employer by offering sums of cash, using first contacts from within the Filipino underground that Knick-Knack knows. He soon progresses on to picking hoodlums from Asian and then international syndicates for target practice, baiting them with the promise of fast cash like we saw at the start of The Man of the Golden Gun. While Scaramanga is happy enough for this arrangement, he does notice two things. First of all, that the targets start to get trickier. And second of all, Knick-Knack really enjoys this work. Brushing aside his doubt, though, Scaramanga reads his assistant's approach as a testament to loyalty and unwavering desire to help his skills sharpen. So much so that Scaramanga writes in his will that the island might be left to Knick-Knack in the event of his untimely death. A year later, Knick-Knack ends up, or ups the ante, and designs a funhouse for Scaramanga to practice in, a shooting gallery of mirrors and amusements to trick, deceive, and double bluff both the assassin and the visitor into befuddlement. Programmed with countless variables and modifiable traps, no two engagements are ever the same for Scaramanga, while Knick-Knack works the controls. He begins to fear his number one inwardly, and the funhouse seems to unlock a sinister side of Knick-Knack that has laid dormant for so long, one that was finally coming out to play, blanketed by the ridicule and alienation he was forced to endure as a child, and 
Now, watching others play big and big love and spend big when he can only ever live in their shadows. This is all starting to boil over now. Obsessed with making Scaramanga's Island retreat his own, Knickknack eventually sniffs out an opportunity to bring James Bond into the web. Now, where some would see at the end of The Man with the Golden Gun, Knickknack's outrage towards his boss, his employer, being killed. I think what we've really seen there is Knickknack mourning the loss of that island home when it was blown up. And that's where that rage comes from. So the story could be fleshed. Yeah, so the story could be fleshed out and strengthened, I think, by maybe having each of Knickknack's patron figures, you know, first the missionary, then the chef, and then Scaramanga, each killed or tragically betrayed in some way, which would force the young Julienne to rebuild and sort of reconnect while remaining distant, you know, from Mm -hmm. uh, kind of emotionally distant and kind of burning up. Now, that's the end of the treatment for the first season. So we're spanning a lot of history to get to that point. But there is potential for a continuation because at the end of The Man with the Golden Gun, Nick Knack's not dead. He's just up in the bird's nest, Bond's ridicule victim. He could very well escape that junk. He could then maybe have knowledge of something else Scaramanga has in his domain, another property, another resource. And he could then use that to start planning a revenge against Bond if if the show was picked up and wanted to go into season two territory. So that's my idea for the heir of Paco. Now, what I need you guys to do is tell me if that's got legs or if, if that's going to die on the kitchen counter. No, it's got legs. Well, in terms of pitches, like good. that is, I mean, it's a treatment that you submitted, right? To get that past the studio, you probably have to condense it. Yeah, of course. But once, course they, would, once yeah. they buy it, but once they buy just the idea yeah. of it and then they see your treatment, yeah. they'll probably get very excited about For sure. it. You think there's legs so, there, do you? Yeah. No, yeah. Okay. It's, cool. it's, it's all about legs. the pilot too, right? Like in what you can condense. I also yeah, like, of course it is. Yes. Uh, I think Josh is right yeah. there. I definitely yeah, see so, a modern... Uh, this, this is a modern series. Like, uh, this, I can is. see this is one of the yeah. Amazon spinoffs. Um, just on the basis, what I really liked about it is that all of the, you've addressed all of like the um, problematic depictions of of Nick Knack in the Man with the Golden Gun as he's portrayed on the in the in the film, mm-hmm. and you kind of um, what's the, you've kind of made his character stand out more. Like the main reason why. He's called knickknack isn't because he's tiny or small with anything to do with his size. It's a term that was given to him in respect by his colleagues as a chef, yeah. right? Yeah, that's good. My question is to like his moral, uh, uh-huh. I guess, yeah. compass. Uh, decline. But I think the decline of that moral compass, thank you, Jeff, is you have, first of all, being abandoned by his family and having to survive. So that automatically is a early traumatic childhood experience for him to process mm-hmm. on top of his, you know, of his own physical um, deformities. I'm not trying to say that in a bad way. I'm just saying yeah, how everyone no. else w- would look at him. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking of, you know, like Tyrion Lannister, for example, mm-hmm. right? Like okay. that kind of like, you know, his father hated him for killing his mother in childbirth and his sister hated him for killing his her mother. And then, you know, just because, and, that, that, and, and from a medieval standpoint, how he was treated the way that he was because of his, of what he looked like, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's definitely correlations in there. But what's important though is that you kill off each of his mentors, like or, or surrogate fathers, really. Like mm-hmm, you get rid of exactly the Jesuit right. priest, you get rid of the chef, and eventually Saramanga, Scaramanga, and then that sort of 
again, the moral decline, the, 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 the apathy is coming in, the greed is coming in a little bit, and he himself is becoming corrupted with power in his own way, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because that makes him a complex individual. You're not overly making him a sympathetic character, which in a way is kind of, pun intended, belittling him mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. In, in terms of, you know, of what his character is. So I really appreciate that and how you include that in the narrative. And I think that would go well with a modern audience. That would that would Yeah, impress yeah. Sure. and I think what Josh is saying and um, what he was saying about sort of like as you show, you pr- progressively show like how he, he kills off these characters um, is that it's, it's slowly, it's almost like um, like uh, when you, uh, I guess like skinning a carrot, like it's just another layer of uh, showing mm. uh, of mm. of um, how Nicknack is becoming sort of like that, uh, he's got that sort of underlining like uh, uh, evil to him. I guess I don't know. There's a better term, but I can't think of it right now. Conditioning. I've only had, yeah. conditioning. I've only had two cups of coffee. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, and I think as you can stretch out um, those important. Uh, like sort of killings of these important characters to him, um, that's that's uh, really going to. I would say that's it's very important with the storyline, and that will uh, sort of really sort of bring in the audience and make it sort of really worthwhile to watch and just uh, a very intriguing um, show just to really captivate an audience. So, yeah. do do you guys think then that? Um, like this is this is one of my problems with this idea. If I have to, like I've decided to put Knickknack in basically being raised by the Jesuit mission up until the age of like thirteen or fourteen, right? Now it's unlikely, even in my own mind, as I've created this silliness, it's 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 unlikely that he would then become uh, a totally like what kind of an upbringing would he have? He would become religious. He would would he would he not be quite closed off to the idea of crime and, you know, supporting that sort of a network or would he, I don't don't know. know, It's possible, but also like the region of where he lives, there's a lot, there could be a lot of lawlessness. Like, I mean, there, he could be religious, but just because of sort of the, the trauma that he's had and what he's seen living in Southeast Asia at that time, Mm -hmm, it, mm -hmm. You know, yeah, that could that could become a, uh, a written point. Exactly. So yeah. I, I think that's I think it's all kind of believable, and it's all it's 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 this is your baby, and so you can make that work however you want. But I I don't see that as being too much of a problem, uh, plot wise, okay, character cool. wise, personally. Right. I definitely see it as a drama. Oh yeah, this is, yeah, uh, it this is definitely is a drama. drama, and that's what I love about yeah. that's what I love about these first three pitches. Like you think about it, right? Like Jeff's got like the 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 Magnum PI type yeah. action show. Yeah, I do. Josh has got <clears throat> Josh has got the kind of Josh has got the kind of like the spoofy touching maybe occasionally even pull at your heartstring comedy yeah, sure. type angle uh, and and with with action like the sure, has of course thing. and then i've got i've got yeah. more i've got more of the drama yeah that more pathos written into yeah. this one yeah. the crime yeah. pathos yeah, thing but I, I, I think that's cool that's some three good pitches there yeah so far yeah range at least so, yeah there's range. definitely range i mean for not yeah. having not having any idea what we were going to do and what we were going to show up here with. I uh, think our first our first act has been pretty good. And what's also important here is that these shows all seem to have a lot of legs. Uh, and by by that, I just mean like uh, strength to hold themselves up 
as opposed to just being like James Bond and like mm-hmm. you know like we're we actually have pitched these ideas. You know, there seems to be a decent amount of uh, strength for these characters and and sort of the worlds that we've created through these uh, pitches. It, it, I mean, as much as we're biased because we all created these, these all seem <laughs> to be they could work. They could. I mean, there's been a lot of worse shows out there that have stayed on TV for many, many years. (laughs) So, you know, let's be honest. We're only asking for a season. Come on. Come on. How many seasons of Grey's Anatomy are there now? (laughs) Or how many seasons of The Simpsons there are now? The Simpsons is good. Okay, so so that's us through Act One. Yep, that's us through Act One. If if you want to hit your uh, your pause button, go get yourself <laughs> a drink, uh, top up your coffee, and come back here for Act Two of our ridiculous BBN pitches for uh, expanded universe spinoffs. All right. Well, I hope everyone's grabbed their brewskis or grabbed their coffee and uh, sitting down now to enjoy the second half of yeah. our What If episodes, uh, Bond TV pitches. Let's uh, yeah. let's get on with it, guys. Yeah, let's do it. So let's roll, yeah. roll the roulette. Do let's it. roll the roulette and see who's going first here again in round two. All right. This is, ah, it's Black 15. So Black 15 is Josh... No, Black Fifteen is Jeff. Yep. So we're going back to th- going back to the beginning here with this one. It's all right. All right. Cool. Yeah, that's cool. That's good sequence. Yeah. Well done, Roulette. Well done. After giving us a zero to start, now we're moving in sequence. Never tell me the odds. <laughs> uh, so um, for the character I chose, Tiger Tanaka, and uh, okay. awesome. So, good old Tiger. Yeah. Uh, and, and so this will be um, post. Uh, you only live twice, potentially before, just so you can kind of like I, same kind of thing. Like I was thinking, like maybe with the pilot, we would have like um, you know, like an origins. Uh, so, and for the title, I've kind of have a couple. It's like I guess working title, either like Tiger Files or Tokyo Jungle, but I'm still really not. Oh, I like both of those. <laughs> I like both of those. Tokyo Jungle, yeah, particularly, good. that that's yeah, a good one. Like I, I, I like that, one. and I also thought it was a bit tough because if he's in charge of Japanese Secret Service, he like he's not going to do a lot of the footwork himself. But at the same time, it's my show, so maybe he will. Uh, and so yeah, ultimately, absolutely. I mean, he's cool, and I mean, obviously, he seems like it's uh, I'll do it myself. Well, he does, guy. and so that's why maybe I can get away with that. Uh, obviously, the opening <laughs> the opening credits is going to be like a cityscape, and then I'm also going to have like the train in there, and you'll get off the train or something. But I'm not going to have his ass get stuck on the doors like Get Smart. But I thought about it. I thought about it. <laughs> if you know what I mean, like the opening of Get Smart, like you know when the doors close yeah. behind him. What tone are you going no, for? I'm kidding. I would never. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, yeah, that's a good question. Um, but so I mean, the premise is is him being you know the head of. Uh, Japanese Secret Service. So there's a lot of different angles we could play here because obviously, and I mean, I'm going to play up with um, the um, you know interagency relations with CIA, MI6, that kind of stuff. I'm also going to play up 
obviously like I, I was thinking I don't again I don't want him I don't want the show to be you know stuck on on, on trying to use James Bond as sort of the crutch so he will still be you know um, him and his group of agents now I'm gonna have oh I'm gonna have Kissy Suzuki as a as a recurring character too um, is I would have him you know searching out uh, Spectre agents, KGB, that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and um, and he's going to have like a cast of characters. You know, he's going to probably have someone like a Q, and that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, and I, again, I would have him sort of defer for intelligence. He might have like a a call, like a video call with someone like Bond or someone else. Like I was thinking, even having Q. It'd be kind of fun just to like sort of bounce off sort of ideas of like tech and stuff like that, yeah. mm-hmm. um, like a Japanese cue. Exa- well, yeah, but also character. have yeah. like yeah, exactly, or or have like um, the lackey of Q that maybe we don't know about. Okay, so I guess the right, right, uh, alphabet, alphabet, help me out. What's before Q? R, R. There you go, R. Uh, P, P, or whatever, <laughs> yeah, whatever letter. It's one like. of them. Yeah, watch your P's exactly. and Q's. Yeah. <laughs> apparently yeah <laughs> so uh, the other so what i was thinking is for the mythology so again it's gonna be you know i'm gonna kind of have it like a detective show kind of gritty um maybe noirish kind of you know spycraft kind of show i was also thinking for the mythology is that he's going to continue to sort of weed out elements of um like potentially um German or again KGB Spectre agents that are still sort of around, uh, you know, Asia and stuff like that. Also, I, uh, what I was thinking of is that he's also looking into uh, his best friend when he was in the Japanese military uh, during World War II. And now, granted, he was he like even though he's in the Japanese military, I'm not going to make him like, uh, you know, like he wasn't. Basically, like the Japanese Gestapo, which again, I just I just don't know the name of them right now. The secret police, which are bad, but uh, he's what the thing is is that one of his colleagues was killed by them. So and he never figured out what happened. So I'm gonna kind of have the mythology of him being where he's at, and there's like he's gonna kind of be sort of looking into that, and also you know underground stuff with uh, Yakuza, and just sort of trying to figure out this kind of stuff going on through mythology by, you know, episodically doing that. And also with that, using his contacts with MI6 and the CIA, so we could probably also get maybe a Felix Leiter or someone like that in there to help with him find this kind of stuff. So that's why I was thinking, like, the mythology, that would be him sort of just doing day-to-day stuff, but also looking into and sort of for... um, um, clarity and and uh, helping him figure out what happened with um, his best friend who died, you know, twenty odd years ago during World War Two, and also, um, you know, again going going about looking at uh, Spectre, KGB, uh, and different sort of um, intelligence agencies that are doing espionage within Japan and the surrounding uh, sphere of influence within Asia at the time. During the Cold and would War. you have these as like standalones, buddy, or would you kind of have like would would it be linked? Yeah, like would, would the episodes be linked into one story, like you well, kind of like twenty four, like twenty like four, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. like I, yeah, like I would have them sort of linked, but 
each episode again would be kind of almost like a standalone but again like like x-files or like josh is referencing with buffy is like it might be like a monster of the week no there wouldn't be any monsters <laughs> but i know what you mean but there would be but there would be so it would cool. again cool. because i i love those kind of episodes because it does reward the constant viewer of being like oh okay so here's a little nugget that keeps going so you know so i think that might work uh and i just i like the character of tiger tanaka and for a villain I was thinking I would probably just create a new villain, and it might be okay. it might be uh, Smarish, it might be Spectre, it might be something like that. Uh, again, I'd like to make it fresh so that I'm not just solely leaning on Bond mm. villains. Uh, yeah, and, and, uh, yeah, yeah. And also, he's gonna have you know the GT two. Uh, is it the GT two thousand? Because that car is the beast. I just wanted it. Yeah, that, I think it's going to be. I think it's part of the reason. Well, it's going to be in the title credits. Hell yeah, he's going to be driving that. It's of course be, it is. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's the car that Aki was driving. Uh, I think mm-hmm. it was. Was it that or Kissy Suzuki? I think it might be Aki. No, Aki. Kissy was yeah. was was after. Oh, I'm Aki. sorry. Oh, then yes. Aki, because because Aki was. Oh, killed, I'm sorry. Right? Then yes. After he, yes. After he quote unquote married. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Anyway, so if everyone was able to understand my gobbledygook there, that that's my pitch. Oh no, man! For, yeah. for either Tiger Files or Tokyo Jungle, I, I still don't know which. I like I like Tokyo Jungle. I gotta tell you, the I like Tokyo I love Jungle. It. I just thought I also that by Tokyo Jungle. Well, <laughs> right? Yeah, I know. Well, and it's funny because it was actually when it was you talking about uh, like Golgo Thirteen or something like that. Yeah, exactly, exactly like that. Yeah. That's a good point, um, and I it, it just the Tokyo Jungle thing made me think of, when you're talking about Concrete Jungle, I think uh, that recent film year. Oh, it was no Concrete Jungle. Oh, uh, the, the Asphalt the, Jungle. The sorry, asphalt jungle. sorry, sorry. Asphalt yes. Jungle. Yeah, yeah. I was. Th- is Concrete Jungle another film? Wasn't that the one with uh, that had like uh, Vic Morrow and stuff in it? It was like I'm trying to think. Maybe there was a movie. Um, and it was like the first time like Bill Haley and like Rock Around the Clock and everyone just literally mm. would go to the theater at the end of the movie to listen to the song. Uh, fact checkers find it out. <laughs> anyways. Find it out. Fact checkers uh, that, check facts. That, that made me, anyways, Asphalt Jungle made me think of that title, Tokyo Jungle. But the only reason I'm, I'm hesitant is because it's not necessarily going to always take place in Tokyo, but obviously mm-hmm. it probably will. <laughs> yeah. It's a Bob Marley song. Oh, okay. <laughs> I won't Thanks, be Josh. using that in the title. I won't be using that. I'll tell you that. No, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit Tokyo. No. It doesn't fit. And it's yeah, right. and if it's an anime, then we know that. Like, oh, yeah, if it's I'm an anime, then there's going to be a different theme song every episode, and it's not going to fit with the style of the show. That's the rule. No. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and will uh and will Tanaka have a Gundam? Suit, like a or a uh, mech or or, or, or what am I like? Yeah. <laughs> of course he's gonna have a friggin' mech. Suit. Of course he's gonna have that. Absolutely. I would totally watch like an Amazon made like series. Oh, kind of like invincible, kind of on the vein of Invincible, but done well, in an anime okay. style. And it's on. T- I'm Tiger Tanaka. Well, that would be pretty. Okay, cool, spoiler. Uh, his office is the train. The train turns into a mech suit. I just. Oh, so and then for and then he joins up with Voltron in season two <laughs> and the Thunderbirds. I like the idea seriously though. I like the Spy Hunter, the kind of um, the yeah. Glogo Thirteen kind of 
aspect of it. Like, yeah. very, I'm trying to think just stylistically, like, will it be based off, like, of an anime tradition? No. Or will it be more like... Uh, uh, well, <sighs> because with, because with Japanese, because obviously, is it going to be an American produced yeah. show? Is it going to be Japanese TV produced show? That's it's what probably I'm probably going to be American, but obviously, like I would do my best to make it feel Japanese as best I could. Uh, just because mm-hmm. it, I, I wouldn't want it to be like I don't know. The term is whitewashed. If I'm going to make it based yeah. there, I would do my damnedest to make it respectful Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and realistic because if i'm trying to reach out to international viewers or people that you know that live there it would turn them off if i'm like they're like this doesn't feel like tokyo this doesn't feel like i don't want to watch this it's like you need to be careful with that in the demographic and i would try my best to do that um you know but i think just guys if we can step back and kind of look at it macro for a minute like i think this is a brilliant brilliant idea because (laughs) thank you well, I do. I truly do because, like, there is great fascination at this time that you're thinking, right, of, like, the world opening up. But particularly with Tiger is such a fascinating counterpart yeah. to MI6. And the world of espionage could be not redefined but exposed because we don't know in the West. We don't really know unless we're reading heavily into it the the methodology of the Japanese intelligence, yeah, that's of the, the Asian thing. intelligence. I, like, I think that could be really, really, really cool. nothing about it. So that would be really interesting to see because everyone yeah. knows like MI6, CIA, yeah, yeah. and that kind of stuff in KGB just because of yeah, you know, saturated, uh, saturated. Yeah. So this could be very interesting just yeah. to see another West. Or I say Western, even though it's in the East, but Western country that is an ally. Well. Is an ally and just sort of see like but a okay, complex how history. does it work? Yeah, the complex history, but also, you know, it's it's interesting to see how their intelligence agencies work and does it work differently. So it, I mean, I'll be honest, I w- I would watch this out. I'm not just biased because it came up with it. Okay, maybe a bit sixty forty, mm. but it is interesting <laughs> just because okay, it, yeah. it's different. Yeah, and uh, you know, I I don't know it it, it I think it could uh, I think it. You know, I think there is definitely watchability there. Nice one. Definitely. All right. Now I like that, man. I thought that, that's good. That's good. Let's carry on with the roulette and see who's next with their pitch. I think Amazon's got a lot to think about right now, guys. That's all I can I'm say. I'm going to be watching my inbox like I've never watched my inbox before. <laughs> it's, red, it's red 30. So, Josh, it's going to you, buddy. We're just doing this in sequence. It seems like we are, yeah. yeah. Okay, so... Pitch me, pitch me. So it's a period show, but it's not going to be made in the time that it takes place in. It's going to be made in modern day. Uh, So the spinoff character that I have chosen for my second pitch is one of my favorite Bond villains. So this will be a story about uh, the rise to prominence of a Bond villain, and that is Elliot Carver. Cool. Yeah, very cool. uh, The working title is Carver, A James Bond Story. Okay. Simple like but it. effective. Yeah. I also have Carving Out Tomorrow. That's another one too. <laughs> Ooh, that geez, you've given yeah. me something to think of it now. I gotta hear the I gotta uh, hear the pitch and then I'll tell you okay. what I like. Yeah. So pulling on the Bond nostalgia thread, one of the more original villains of the series, Elliot Carver, our favorite media mogul, will be the protagonist for this morally ambiguous series about a young newspaper columnist working for an English language paper in Hong Kong 
at the height of the Cultural Revolution in China. Mm. Elliot Carver, he comes from a well-to-do Surrey household, but for reasons to be explained, has found himself in his exotic position. He is scraping by for cash with his meager side columns until he comes into contact with the Chinese journalist who shares with him secret intel about Mao's inner circle. The source will turn out to be none other than Chang, the future general who Carver would Mm. later work with in Tomorrow Never Dies. Awesome. This intel gets Carver a post in Beijing, and our eager anti-hero enters a web of intrigue that will trace back all the way to England, even to his own family. Ah, a little yeah. bit. Oh, wow, that, that's interesting. So Carver is not the only bigwig then. Seem- seemingly, but that will be explored. All right. So for the cast, I have Elliot Carver, his editor-in-chief, uh, Vera, an Australian cub reporter who fancies him, but he's not paying attention to her at all. He's into his work and stuff. Uh, Lei Zheng, a uh, Chinaman. He's the fellow j- journalist with a big story. This will get him killed. We have young Colonel Chang, rising star in Chinese intelligence, a bitter but silent enemy of Mao and his sycophants. Mm. We have Simon Carver, his overbearing father, who's a drunkard. We have Ingrid Carver, his distant, emotionally remote mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jian Peng, Beijing's head of intelligence, a new character. He's a ruthless sadist wearing the mask of a virtuous executor of the Cultural Revolution. Connecting to the Bond universe overall from here, we have a young CIA agent working undercover in Hong Kong named Jack Wade. Uh, <laughs> Thought you like that. At least, at least it's not uh, Falco. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> anyway, yeah, sorry. Uh, Carver will be a political thriller in the vein of the Americans and Homeland, set the set in the colorful backdrop of Hong Kong and Beijing during the Cultural Revolution. The events depicted will lead Elliot Carver down a morally compromised path that will ultimately help him forge his media empire. Nice. Bridges will be burned, bodies will be buried. Mm. <laughs> oh, that's good. So that's that's, that's good. my pitch for Car- for Carver or carving tomorrow. Carving carving, up carving tomorrow. top carving up tomorrow has got to be the title, man. That's blood, just, blood that's for beautiful. ink. That's that's beautiful. Blood for ink. Yeah. Blood for Blood ink. ink is good. That's a good one yeah. as well. Absolutely, no, that's, good. that's, that's a really good, good man. Well. And especially there's if no it's news a, like bad news. Yeah. Um, oh, what was I going to say? Uh, uh, and, and so this is going to be like a period piece, correct? Like you're saying. Oh, that, absolutely. That, it's going to be set yeah, in the sixties in Hong Kong, and because again, that, again, the thing that that intrigues me is because I don't know very much about necessarily Hong Kong in the 60s so just that in general yeah, yeah. Uh, almost as a travel log uh, would be yeah, interesting that's cool and especially when mm-hmm. you have a very interesting character like Carver and the politics of what's going on in the 60s with China and the Cold War and Vietnam and communist that Vietnam will be included well, into the storyline as well so we're going to see Elliot probably going 
you know, down to uh, Saigon yeah. and, and stuff like that, right? So we're going to see the, the, those storylines, well, branches and whatnot, because Chinese intelligence is everywhere and he has leads to follow that, and whatnot. Exactly. So, so those little bread breadcrumbs could lead to, you know, smaller little like two episode arcs or whatever. And that all is, it's, that, is that is definitely uh, lots of gravy there to soak up. Mm-hmm. You know your <laughs> your buns with uh, that sounds re- that is uh, very captivating. I would watch the shit out of this. And something yeah. that I, w- I would like to see about that series, particularly, is is how the mania comes about. Because Carver oh, is not just point. ambitious; yeah. he's fucking manic. Like he's manic. Yeah. Like you see him, even even the little well, gesti- gesticulations the, the that the actor does, like the, the the typing, right? And I know it was all kind of late nineties gadgetry, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. but like everything yeah. about him is like energetic and it's it's kind of manic. And obviously his mania stretches out and spills over into his plots and whatnot. But I'd like to see how that psychosis comes about from the family, and I think oh, that's cool, man. Yeah, that's. Cool. that's- that's what I was working on. I was also thinking of making, because I want to connect the family to what's going on in China. And I kind of want to make, I was thinking of making his father an actual, a communist spy. I think that would have a really cool background. Oh, yeah. Kind, Interesting. Kind of like the group of five or whatever, the ones oh, that the were Cambridge in uh, British sure. intelligence. Yeah. yeah. The Cambridge yeah. five. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like nice maybe if he was part of that. And uh, he's like, th- there's actually a Cambridge six, right. but he was the, like the other <laughs> right, person. Right, yeah. So... But no one knew about him. This is that sounds nice great, one. Matt. I really like that's that. good, man. There's some legs yeah. on this one. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Es- yeah. Especially, cool. especially because again, with the Vietnam field to make it sixties, there's a lot of things you can add just with the again the Cold War, Asia, Hong Kong. Again, for for a Western audience, sort of like a a, a part of the. Uh, a part of the world and a time frame and a, and a subject that's not necessarily like used a lot and and also again even though this is in the bond universe it's not it's not like really heavily being propped up by a james bond uh like character and it, it, this is all seems very uh very good uh, to think of again. It can hold up on its own. It can yeah. hold up. There you go. Wow, I got to show. Yeah, and yeah. I think <laughs> I think that if I could say something about that idea and Jeff's uh, Tiger Tanaka idea, I would say that <clears throat> where your your guys got the advantage, I think, is in not needing the Bond connection as much. Like a, a backstory on Knickknack, as much as I loved it, and as much as I would try to sell it. So this is not me taking it off the table, Amazon, but as much as I enjoyed it, I think that your your ideas, because of the, the you know, the, the political world into which they're born and the characters are situated, I think that they have legs of their own in a way that you don't need to have the the bond pull. Like if you don't like the man with the golden gun, if you really don't like that film, then nah, you know what? The heir of Paco is not for you. <laughs> but I don't know. I kind of but I think that I think okay. It, it depends how good the actual product is, right? Well, but the thing is, is that you got to be able to greenlight that product, yeah. and you got to have support for it. So yeah. I see where you're coming from. I mm-hmm. I can see, and I'm saying this modestly. I I can see my 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 project being picked yeah. up. Just for I the could. story in itself, Absolutely. more so than just being a Bond well, story. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, I guess that's what I'm trying to what say. I, what I might just say, Scott, is when yeah. I say I disagree, is I'm like, I don't don't sell yourself short. I mean, that, that's the thing. It's like, 
your story, even if they're not a Bond fan, like I mean, yeah, I, obviously, like if they're not feeling the Man with the Golden Gun or Knickknack, it would it might be a harder sell. But the fact is, is like um, your treatment is very captivating, and, and just on a again, these shows, and this is again another selling point. It's like even if you're not a Bond fan, you could still watch these. If you don't like, it's like it's like any, any any good spinoff is do they have legs on their own? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's and then I mean it's always a treat for the fans of a series or a show where you're like yeah because I'm a fan I'm gonna watch it but I think with your show Scott is like there's so much behind it even if you don't like Knickknack you might be able to in, like Nick because you're like oh this is why he's like this and that's why a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of people like those type of shows you're like this is why he's such a damaged individual or potentially. <laughs> and so potentially, uh, yeah. So potentially, but, but no, I, I, I mean, the other thing is, is that with Josh, our shows are a little more espionage based, whereas yours is more of like, mm-hmm. uh, just character. sort of like it's a character, character driven. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I've got one. It's my last one, guys. Here we go. Okay, this is going to finish us off for our pitches before we do a little bit of experimenting with the roulette. Mm. Now, this story is more espionage-based. And in fact, this is what I see as a limited series, okay? Okay. I see this as a limited series. It definitely has potential to go on and on and on. But I'm looking at 12 episodes, okay? But just looking at 12 episodes. And this is called The M Papers. The M Papers. I'm already hooked. And it's essentially... Stories from British Intelligence, 1950s. Oh, okay? yeah. Now, All right. each episode is going to start in M's office in some capacity. It'll be either dealing with a new case or a development on a continued case. Some cases Bond is involved in peripherally, but only peripherally. Some he's got nothing to do with at all. There are links through recurring characters like Q, like Moneypenny, okay, and there are info drops, but essentially, this is a series that looks at standalone episodes of M's, of what comes across M's desk in the 1950s, okay? So, we've got Chief of Staff, Foreign Minister, we've got, and like I said, Money Penny. these characters come in, and there are definitely going to be some Easter eggs dotted about. I think it's going to offer audiences a mixed look at... British security, domestic and international. I think we're going to get some positive, maybe even patriotic glimpses of good. And other shows or other episodes are going to showcase some of the blind and disparaging bigotry, you know, that we've got going on at the time. All of them, though, are going to be weighed through M's character and his decision making. All right. So I've got ideas for every episode already. I've just selected what I think is going to be the 12 episodes of this limited series. Each of them is like a standalone with very subtle links through the characters, okay? The first one, interestingly, you guys talked about it just a moment ago, has to do with uh, Kim Philby and the Cambridge Five, okay? So I'm thinking we got M dealing with the loss of agents to the Soviets and their counterintelligence. For example, you know, we might have the specific threads of the 00 section field work, uh, which came close to snaring Burgess and McLean before they defected to the USSR. So that could spill over into, you know, some chase on a Kim Philby thing, you know, that, that could that could work really well. Another episode idea I've got 
is in the destabilization of Central America. Now, Jeff, you were talking about Central America a wee while ago with your idea on Pan Bouvier, but 30 years before that, we've got Guatemala and Honduras and the anti-communist propaganda and the media shaping that Britain was involved in with the Information Research Department, the Foreign Office work. I think that could be really cool, get some travelogue stuff going there. We've got the Festival of Britain, in the early 50s, so we could maybe build an episode around the events uh, of the 1951 Festival of Britain, which at the time was staged to kind of showcase Britain recovering from the war, right? Um, but we know that we we know that there were some really neat centerpieces to it, like um, like the Skylon Tower, that 93-foot dome that at the time was the largest in the world. There could be like a bomb plot in there. There could be also maybe even some intergovernmental conspiracy because we know that Churchill didn't like these sort of socialist things or things that leaned that way about, you know, yes. people together, all that sort of shit. So there could be some intergovernmental conspiracy stuff in there. Then I've got an idea about the Four Square Agreement. With that, and that would be a very heavy CIA episode that would bring in Felix Leiter, I thought, a young Felix Leiter in Singapore, maybe, as Britain and America agree on how to split up their joint um, intelligences in Southeast Asia, right? We've got MI6 cover ops working to undermine President uh, Sukarno and his anti colonial regime. I think M might have to deal with some shit there because obviously the Brits had a lot of involvement with that. Then I've got this idea for. Um, Operation Boots. I think this could be a standalone episode too, where we got um, that's that's the Norman Derbyshire in Iran following the 1953 coup in Tehran, which worked to reinstate the Shah. The Shah. Churchill, hmm. Churchill, along with uh, the CIA, Operation Ajax, I think it was called. You can correct me on that if I'm wrong, but they opposed the rule of Mohammad Mossadegh, which was Iran's first democratic leader, because it threatened Britain's oil interests. And I thought that could be a really interesting moral one, moral episode to get into, you know, in the 50s. Absolutely. So it would follow it would follow that really gray chapter of British intelligence where like street uprisings and public disorder were, were manufactured to create, you yeah. know, um, that would unrest, be a right? Very good episode. I think that might be pretty cool. And then we've got obviously like this came to me late. But 1953, the Queen's coronation, we could yeah. totally fictionalize. I was, was going to say, we could yeah. fictionalize yeah. like an assassination, assassination or something. Yeah, that exactly. could be cool. Is there anything about the Suez Canal? Yeah, I'm getting there. I'm Ooh. getting there. I'm okay. getting there. Good point. I'll just <laughs> talk about that one right now. So I've got an idea around the Suez Canal as well. An episode could be connected to uh, Prime Minister Anthony Eden's retirement. And that could actually lead into some neat post-structuralist stuff for the writers or the, or the creative team because Eden convalesced at Ian Fleming's GoldenEye during that time. Oh. And yes. there could be some really kind of crazy <laughs> crossover meta. during that time. Yeah, <laughs> meta. some meta stuff yeah. going on there. But um, yeah, so I thought M, M could deal with that crisis for sure because awesome. the Suez was, was a huge thing, right? So that could be really cool. Yeah. Uh, I've also got an idea here. What would this be? Like the seventh or the eighth, eighth episode maybe of hunting war criminals, just MI6 operations yeah. in South America following the war, yeah. suspected Nazis positions, you know, looking for uh, safe cover Eichmann stuff, and stuff like, like that. that. Yeah. Eichmann, yeah. Boys of Brazil type shit. Yeah. Working with the Mossad. Yeah, totally. Um, and Israel helping to become a state and all that sort of stuff. 
I've got an idea as well, guys, on contraband rationing. Now, I remember, Josh, when we were doing our Live and Let Die book episode, we were talking about how rationing didn't end until 1954. Now, although contraband rationing itself seems a bit lame, it could be linked to a more threatening sort of organized crime network of post-war opportunists, maybe even like foreign enemies, you know, trying to keep the British public from, from getting or maybe trying to sell on and profit from. Um, this kind of rationing program that Britain still found itself into. That might be like one of the poorer episodes, <laughs> less active, but I think, it, you know, it's an idea. And then I thought this was a cool idea. I was quite happy with this one uh, because it's going to involve our friend Karen Bay from From Russia With Love. A few years before Bond's involvement in From Russia With Love, we've got the Cypriot Wars of Independence concerning Britain and Turkey's involvement in the mid-50s. So M could have could have like something to do there with the Turks, you know, and the Turkish involvement and the uh, the Cyprus conflict. And on top of that, I thought as well, guys, we could have maybe, that brings me to 10 episodes, I thought an extra two episodes could just be made-up adventures just to kind of fill the season and create some buffer between more, maybe more, some of the heavier political stories, you know, could just be kind of like cat and mouse games or something. And this would be the M Papers, a limited series, I'm looking 12 episodes, that's it. And I've already got I've already got the episode ideas, so maybe they wouldn't all sell, but some of those period like the, the 50s for British intelligence and British politics, I think it's just a, a hive of activity that we could tap into. Eh? Oh yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, there's lots there. Um tons. It's almost like in a way an an anthology series. Almost. Yeah. Because what, like the connecting the connecting thread would yeah. be M but mm-hmm. then you'd have like a different set of operatives for like each episode, yeah. a different set of characters. Mm-hmm. You set one, for example, in Singapore. So you're going to have to cast, you know, the 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 dictator of, of that of that place, and then you're going to have to the the entourage or the retinue around them, mm-hmm. uh, the localized agents there. So in a way, it's sort of almost an anthology with just one character that sort of connects them all together. Yeah. And if yeah, if that's the, right. if the episodes are kind of almost chronological, like. I mean, it doesn't. They don't have to be. Yeah, but, you could certainly but, set them up to be that way. But that would again be one of those little nuggets that would um, reward the viewers, um, because you'd be like, oh, because the last episode, yes, last episode was two years ago in the, you know, in the chronological order. And but then you could see mm-hmm. the 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 changes that have occurred because of mm-hmm. a certain mission or whatever, right? So, but uh, man, yeah, this this, this is gold. This is this yeah. is gold. Cool. Glad you like uh, that one. Oh, but you guys, so I, I, I know as I was reading those out, you were probably biting your tongues because you know a lot about this period. You know a lot about the 50s espionage. And uh, I appreciate you, uh, you giving me the stage there for that one because... Um, yeah, we restrained ourselves. We were good <laughs> boys. We, uh, we're good friends. Yeah. We're good friends. And now we're going to interrupt yeah. the shit yeah. out of you for the rest of the episode. <laughs> Right. Well, well, do you know what, guys? You know what? The truth is, if either one of these stories ever was to make it anywhere, we would we would share the profits because you know we we would have we to, would you know yeah. we're too friendly not to yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Jeff's like oh, cast you in one of the episodes. You'd be the guy in the stadium from the back. <laughs> the spear, the spear, the spear holder. Or the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there you go, everybody. Um, six ideas from your Bond by Numbers hosts on spinoffs of the expanded universe. I mean, we just chose two each. 
And guys, I think that uh, it would be fun to return to this with some more characters towards the end of the season, hey? And uh, It would yeah. be, yeah. I, I'd be down for that. Uh, but please, for those, if you want to comment, yeah, let us know what you please. think about our, our, our choices, you know, on all social media, Instagram, what have you. Give us your own. Let too. us know how you feel. Yeah, of course. Give yeah. us your own as well, absolutely. Please be merciful when it, when it comes to our, <laughs> our, our takes. Yeah. And it's worth saying, Josh, uh, because it's been a while, our, our email is bondbynumbers3 at gmail.com, and you can get us on Facebook or on Instagram. So, Send us your ideas as well as uh, as chip in on what you thought what you thought of our ideas. That's that's good fun. But we're not quite done yet, guys. We've got the no. To play that's with. right. We still have yeah. That's right. Now we're gonna bond by numbers mm-hmm. our own spinoff series. All three of us. That's right. Yeah. We're gonna work together on this one. Collaborate and it's almost, listen. It's almost like a mad. It's almost like a yeah, mad it, that's in exactly a way. Done with roulette. That's kind of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, what I've done for the bond universe of characters that we could select and there are many villains henchmen allies we've got them i got them here listed out the, the major ones there are some of course you know that i haven't got like the guy who drove bond to the funeral parlor from the airport in diamonds are forever do you he have lactose down here i do you forget I, that guy i do of course i've got nick gross of course i got a mother yeah 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 okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> i got a mother i got a mother sister I got a sister. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, so what I've got, uh, I've got them all here uh, numbered up on the roulette. Okay, so we're going to spin the roulette and we're going to get our character. Sure. I then have also subdivided into three, okay, because I've selected three story types. I've got origin, continuation, or concurrent, meaning at the same time as the film. Right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Right. So we're going to match the character to that timepiece if it works. I mean, if the character's dead, we'll, we'll select a different one. Okay. So... It's fair. Any questions? No. No, let's do it. Okay. Roulette's going. Let's see who comes up. <laughs> I hope your creative juices are still flowing, boys, because we might need help. Let's see what we got. Black 20. Let me check my list here. Black 20. <laughs> okay. Black 20, gentlemen. It is Chang from Moonraker. <laughs> okay. That's Hugo Drax's henchman, Chang. Oh, who gets yeah. thrown out of the oh, clock oh, tower oh, in Venice. And I have a name for the show already. <laughs> and, and we have... Say it again, Sam. <laughs> hang on, I haven't told you. We've got Chang, and it's a continuation. So he couldn't have died when he got thrown out of St. Mark's Tower. Or, uh, so Mark's. this whole show is okay. about his rehab. <laughs> That's essentially it. What happens after Chang gets thrown out into the piano in Moonraker? What happens? <laughs> <laughs> wow. So who wants to start? Just a second. I got, a, film e- I got an email from Amazon right now about this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cease and desist? So, no, I'm just kidding. My take My take huh. is that obviously that that was a substantial injury that he endured from that fall and a little bit packed into a the little piano. Bit. Yeah. Yes. A little bit. So he was in traction for a couple of months <laughs> and therefore missed uh the the trip to space, I guess the downfall of his boss, and the trip to space. So he's a little bit bitter. Slip. So, yeah, he's a bit sick because he survived. Like he still exists, but he's bitter because he survived. Yeah, okay, I see what you but mean. He, like. But he, but he's he's bitter about his boss, his master Drax, being defeated by, you know, by this Englishman. So he wants okay. to get revenge. So he decides to go go after James Bond. Um, and 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 basically track him down. Okay, okay. Unfortunately, he doesn't have the 
uh, resources to do so <laughs> yeah. because that's where I was going to go next. With what resources? Because there's because there's a big language barrier, and I guess, and also he's being guarded by the. Uh, also, he's under the custody of the Carabinieri as well. Because at this point, they know that the guy that was in the hospital is in fact an associate oh, of Hugo true. Drax, as in. The guy who did, tried to wipe humanity. out half of humanity with <laughs> yeah, like, gas. Yeah, exactly. So like, yeah, he's so yeah. <laughs> so what so what basically happens is we wow. we get essentially a courtroom drama, oh wherein Chang, <laughs> unable to defend himself, <laughs> ends up uh, being tried for crimes against humanity at the Hague, and uh, is imprisoned for the rest of his life. Oh my! So God. that's the end of Chang. Is this <laughs> okay. a limited series? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to be a limited Very series. limited. Very limited. To one episode, yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. I don't know. I, I feel Josh like the is probably thing... giving Chang the only, the only character arc that's available to him. <laughs> the only arc he had is his fall. <laughs> that's right. Right to the baby grand. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, Should we spin it again and, and do another one then? Why not? Why not? Right. Okay, let's try it. It's this. Let's try it again. It can't wow, get any worse is... than Chang's continuation. Jeez. Sorry, can I? Wow. Oh, dude. <laughs> okay, this is Black 28. Black 28, it's a concurrent story. So at the same time as, oh, Bambi and Thumper. Concurrent Bambi and Thumper from Diamonds Are Forever. So what are they doing at the time they get thrown into the pool and meet James Bond at Willard White's penthouse? No, not at Willard White's penthouse. The cliffside. Um, oh yeah. yeah, apartment or flat. Yeah, house. Oh, mm. Wow. Well, I got a Willard White. Despite being in a captivity, uh, <laughs> Josh is the man. By the way. Yes. <laughs> Ghost. Willard White, despite you know being in captivity by yeah. those two, uh, sees their talents and and, and hires them as uh, pit bosses for his casino. Okay, so we've got a pit boss show. Okay, this is cool. Exactly. All right. So they're dealing with all the all the card sharps and all the all the scammers that come into the uh, casino, right? Actually, and, and enforce and get things done and. Uh, and and uh, Bambi has this longtime dream of being a showgirl, so she's going to she's going to go in towards those aspirations, uh, Elizabeth Berkeley style. Because uh, <laughs> her aspirations are totally different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. And Thumper is just uh, building her way up into the casino management, and then she eventually she becomes running a chain of all of Willard White's casinos, and it's a kind of like yeah, a actually. yeah. Yeah. And to be honest, I mean, for that time, would she be would she be like a very powerful female figure within the Las Vegas like world? Well, under Willard White's, per, you know, purveying, well, he could uh, make guess, it happen. I think is what under his could, purview, I, she's <clears throat> able to do so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, th- that's kind of a bitter thing about her, and she wants to strike out on her own. She wants to strike out on her own, but I guess because of the times, she can only do what she can, you know, as a black that's woman, true, you know, yeah, in, yeah. in that period, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So, so that's good. There's some mileage there for bumping up against racial prejudice and kind of progressive women's rights, and that's cool. I like that. Yeah. I like that idea. Uh, to be honest, I don't mind that idea. I mean, it's it's interesting, and it would kind of flesh out the character. So it's almost like showing how it works. So, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. That's actually not bad. I mean, it's it's kind of hard. It's far-fetched because, I mean, obviously the way they portray them was like 
the inside of their head is like a cardboard box, which is not fair. Yeah. But yeah. it would be interesting just to see like giving them like a, a sort of like a, a like a canvas to paint and be like, hey, you know what? Maybe he wants them to do that. And then it would be entertaining to watch to see these two characters that are basically fluff and, and eye candy to to mm-hmm. work their way up in important sort of managerial somewhat questionable roles in a casino in Las Vegas. So, you know, and the thing is, is you could flesh that out by doing underhanded random missions and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. where you could extrapolate those type of things, like, you know, uh, taking out someone, or or there's like, you know, you have high-end clients and people that stay there or are going to stay there, and and then they'll pay you lots of money to hush people or do things or or, or mm-hmm. cover up stuff. So you could have these characters kind of almost be like cleaners or 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 stuff like that in different I think they're continuing to run the casino yeah. and you're like you're thinking of mercenaries. Well no, not, no sorry, not necessarily mercenaries, but just sort of just all like just they they kind of have their hands in lots of different pies within the casino and and how things are run because we all know like you know casinos there's always sort of like that see the underbelly we could extrapolate on different types of episodes and, and character arcs by having them do different things and managing those different sort of elements that's what I'm thinking but but I like but and I I, I drew upon that from your original idea there which mm-hmm. I it's not that bad. Maybe they can cross over with uh, Martin Scorsese's yeah. Casino, you know, with uh, De Niro yeah. and Sharon Stone and mm-hmm. Joe Pesci and all that. Well, I was going to ask Josh. <laughs> I mean, isn't there a lot of Diamonds Are Forever, the novel, also able here as like kind of fertile ground because you've got the Spangled Mob, right? The Spangled Mob, absolutely. So yeah, they, right. they could get themselves embroiled in plots there. Exactly, Tiffany Case could show up as well. Yeah, of course she could. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Hey, this is this, this hasn't been as bad. This hasn't been as no, bad as Josh the Chang's continuation. Pretty, to be honest with you, like having them sort of work within the casino under him. That's actually not a bad idea, because and again, as as fluffy and as obviously at the time they kind of just were like you know like like visual. Yeah, they were, as you said, stimulation eye and, and eye, eye, candy. Uh, eye candy. This is not a bad idea because then it's actually going to uh, you know. Um, we can try and give them some dimension, which yeah, it, it, it could be an interesting watch. And would it be a series that kind of promoted the uh, the Willard White character to like a, a morally upstanding because of the way he just respects good work, regardless of sex, regardless of gender identification? Would he just be a guy who we respect watching the show or would he be like, you know, in Dallas JR kind of doing his like how would we read Willard White think, throughout the series? I think it'd be interesting. Uh, probably a more like avuncular JR. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a more avuncular JR. I think it'd be interesting if it would almost be like seeing it sort of change here and there. Like we could see elements of his personality being like he actually wants them to succeed, but also he's also mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. being like power hungry and wanting him to do like underhanded things for him and then maybe yeah. maybe as the episodes go he actually can see the benefit of these people and how good they're doing and that he actually becomes uh like almost emotionally attached not in a physical way and seeing how well they're doing if, yeah yeah if okay. they do well you know i don't know something like that mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know i'm just spitballing here i see what you mean yeah nice one 
guys, this has been great fun. I really enjoyed this. <laughs> it's pretty. It's I think pretty we got good. some really yeah, good. I think we got some good ideas here that we've thrown onto the table today. And yeah, Amazon might not be knocking on our door. I don't know about that. I think they <clears> will. Probably because I ordered a, <laughs> okay. a delivery. I ordered something, so they are going to knock on my yes. door. Just not. I'll be very disappointed that it won't be full of money. It'll be money I already yeah. used. Yes. But yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you very much, guys, for the efforts you put in here today. It has been awesome fun. And thank you, everybody, for listening to us as well. We've had a ball going through this together. And um, yeah, I, th- I think there's enough there's enough scope and fun in this to, to bring it back later in the season, do some more characters. Sure. And by that time, our, our listeners will have chipped in and we'll be, <laughs> we'll be able to feed back some of their ideas too, hopefully. Absolutely. Now, guys... Uh, back at season, at the end of season three, we gave our impressions of No Time to Die when it was released, but we haven't yet done our full review of the film. So sure. I think between now and then, what we'll do is go away, give the full Bond by Numbers treatment to No Time to Die, and we'll come back here mm-hmm. in a few short weeks with our episode on that 25th Bond film. If you're happy to do, then I'm happy to schedule. Sure. Excellent. Sounds good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's on tap for season four, so uh, that's going to be our next show, everybody, is our No Time to Die review. So really looking forward to that. And guys, look, uh, unless you got anything else to say or to share, uh, I'll just wish you, wish you the best and uh, see you very, very soon back here on Bomb by Numbers. I think Chang tapped me out, so all <laughs> I can say is adieu. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of fun with this. Uh, I'm, I'm actually quite impressed with what we came up with. Um, yeah, it was off to us. Yeah. And I, you know what? I'm going to put a feather in my own cap right now and call it macaroni because yeah. I feel pretty good about it. <clears throat> Uh, been a lot of fun nice to see you guys again and uh, absolutely looking forward to the next episode alright thanks everybody take care and we'll see you back here soon on Bond by Numbers cheerio ciao